So I have my suitcase and my, you know, my travel golf bag. And I arrive at RDU. And I remember getting off the plane and yeah, I actually didn't know who was gonna pick me up. <laughs> I knew that coach knew when I was gonna arrive, but I didn't know if I had to like call somebody or yeah, I don't know. But then I step out of the gate and they were there. They were both there. So I was like, oh, okay, cool. <laughs> I had a little freak out moment, but then it was all good. Yo, it's Luke, and this is the Golf Homies podcast by Lion Loft. At LNL, we use the word homie a lot. To us, the meaning is simple. A homie is someone you feel at home with, whether you've just met or known each other for years. There's no judgment or hate, just empathy and love. Oftentimes, golf is that connector. Can you imagine saying goodbye to everything you've ever known? Leaving your hometown, family, friends, culture, country, continent, all in pursuit of a dream? Meet our homie, Leslie Klutz, who journeyed alone to the U.S. from Belgium seven years ago, where a better opportunity for competitive golf presented itself. We start her story from the beginning, where she reflects on her earliest memory as a kid. The living room, kind of like how we're sitting right now on the ground. <laughs> in front of the TV, except I don't have a TV currently. Yeah. Yeah, just playing in front of the TV. I grew up in Belgium um, in a town called Antwerp. Antwerp. Yeah. So the capital of Belgium is Brussels, and then Antwerp is the second largest city. I really liked it. Um, I kind of miss it more and more each day now. Um, it's my seventh year in the, in the States which is kind of crazy. <laughs> How would you describe it to someone who's never been to Belgium? The weather is similar to London. Most people have been to London or have an idea of what that weather looks like. So the weather is very similar, very gray, a lot of rain, and here and there's some sunshine. So ideal for golf. I'm just kidding. It's not, <laughs> it's not great. Um, yeah, but in city-wise, it's very dense. There are buildings everywhere. When you leave the city, when you're driving, it doesn't feel like you're leaving the city because there's still buildings everywhere. <laughs> it's kind of funny. In, in Antwerp, there's this tower. It's owned by a bank, I believe, currently. Uh, but it's our skyscraper. But it's kind of pathetic compared to here in the States. Like, Raleigh probably has at least five or six buildings that are higher than our famous skyscraper. <laughs> uh, so the skyline kind of looks funky and not really there. We got a cathedral, that one bank building. I think we have a museum that would probably stick out. Um, yeah, but that's about it. So the skyline isn't very much there compared to cities in the U.S. Um, but once you walk around, it's, it's really pretty. It's very old. And yeah, I just really like it. Yeah. What was the landscape like? Was it tucked in in between mountains oh it's very flat yeah um you know we're we're right next to the border with the netherlands which means the lowlands right netherlands uh so we're still kind of part of it at least the north of belgium which is called flanders by the way they have different regions um so yeah antwerp is part of flanders and then the south is called wallonia um, and those two regions are based on languages. So I speak Flemish at home, which is similar to Dutch. And then the south part speaks French. And then we have like two, three towns on the east side. East side? Yes, east side uh, that speaks German. Uh, but I don't know. I couldn't tell you one person that lives there. So yeah, <laughs> it's pretty small. Um, yes, yeah, so we have three languages. Uh, and uh, the north part, Flanders, is really flat, and then the French part, it gets a little more hilly. Yeah. So golf course-wise, yeah, that pat pattern is definitely there. Where courses in the north are really flat, mm -hmm. uh, a lot of like tree lines, more water, um, and then the south, it's it's way hilly. Yeah. It, yeah. <laughs> if you're walking a course all the way south, it beats you up. Yeah, in the summer it can be really, uh, can be really tough. Yeah, but it's fun. 
So we have quite a bit of variety actually within within a small small place. Yeah. Did you learn multiple languages in school growing up? Yeah. Uh, Did they focus see. pretty hard on that? Yeah, I started taking French classes when I was, I think, 10 or 11, yeah, in school. So I had that for, I don't know, seven or eight years, French class. And my French wasn't that great. Like, I didn't like it. Uh, yeah. But actually, one, one good thing about, you know, playing golf as well in the national team is I get to play with girls from the French side. And stereotypically, the French side, if you're, if you're from the French side, they don't really teach Flemish mandatory in school. I think you have to take it for two years, something like that. But after that, you can choose a different language if you want, like Spanish or German or I don't know, whatever the school offers. Uh, but on the Flemish side, we don't have a choice. You're taking French for, I don't know, six to eight years. Um, so typically people from Flanders can speak French mm -hmm. but on the French side it's not always guaranteed that they can speak Flemish um, so yeah sometimes I really had to dig out my French to be able to communicate what I wanted to say <laughs> <laughs> yeah so that actually really helped my French just to be able to practice and speak you know not just in the classroom because yeah that's great that you know the vocab and all these grammar points but are you really going to use them when the time comes? Um, yeah. And actually being in the States, speaking English all the time, which is also not my native language, it actually helped my French as well for some strange reason. Just to, just the, the habit of not speaking in your own langu language and kind of overcoming that, um, yeah, insecurity, I guess. Uh, yeah, just gain more confidence in, in speaking in a different language in a public setting. Um, yeah, which has been really good. When did you start learning English? Um, in school, we started having it when I was 14. Mm -hmm. I'm saying ages because the grades throw me off here. What were the grades when you were So we up? have, you know, uh, kindergarten for three years and then elementary school for six years and then high school for six years. So we don't, we don't have middle school. So that kind of throws me off in the whole... Oh, 10th grade and 12th grade. I'm like, okay, so how old is that? <laughs> <laughs> so what grade would that be when you're 14? Mm. You'd be in high school. Uh, you'd be probably a freshman. Oh, yeah, freshman high school. Yeah. Um, but then when, when I was younger, my, so my mom's Chinese, so she immigrated to Belgium. Uh, my dad is Belgian, so they got married. And uh, a year later... I was already born, so that all went pretty quick. And my mom was taking Flemish classes, you know, like learning the language. But, you know, by the time I was starting to grow up and like be able to speak, they were still speaking English to each other. So I always kind of heard it growing up. And also I would say most of the TV shows, all the movies, you know, from Hollywood, they're all in English and we subtitled them in, in Flemish or Dutch. Can you uh, recite some Flemish? What do you want to know? Hmm. I'm running late for my tea time. Uh, ik ben laat voor mijn tea time. Tea time, I think, yeah. is the same. Tea time is probably the same. A startet, startet, starting time, startet. How would you describe? Like, is it a lot of rolling your tongue, or like, how do you? As far it, as the uh, accent, and people stuff. <laughs> I've heard it's a lot of like German, what? Yeah, like, and then like. And then, yeah, the R, the R is different. In English, you don't really, the R is something like, Rrr. right? <laughs> but then in Flemish, you pronounce the R up front with your tongue, like, Rrr. can you do it? Right. <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah. And then the French, they put the R in the back, all the way in the back of your mouth, like, Rrr. right. Right. <laughs> 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 oh, man. Flemish sounds like a great language. It's, it's awesome. And the crazy thing is, so Belgium is the size of Maryland. For listeners that are in the U.S., you How know big the size is Maryland? of Maryland. <laughs> I don't know. It's not that I'm big. I'm just kidding. I don't know. I don't know the square footage. Um, square miles, probably. Uh, but it's the size of Maryland, and then we're split in half. 
right? Brussels smack in the middle, Flanders at top, Wallonia the bottom. And so you take the region of Flanders, which is half of Maryland, and then you split it up in another five parts, which, each, uh, which are the provinces. And each province has a different accent, and they're very distinct. Like, you can tell right away, and some of them you cannot understand. It's like, what are you saying? You have a potato in your mouth. I can't understand you. Is there a sentence you could say uh, with a couple of exa- like examples of what the different uh, sentences would be? Uh, so, you know, I'm from Antwerp, so I love speaking that dialect, and I love kind of being in the countryside of Antwerp where people really don't care and... Yeah, it's kind of similar to here, like, kind of like the redneck. Uh, but I, I really, yeah, I really enjoy speaking, speaking flat. That's what we call it. Like, with a thick accent, you, you speak very flat. Uh, so, for example, Antwerp. So, the formal way of, of saying that city name is Antwerpen. But then, if you, someone from Antwerp, they would say Antwerpen. So, instead of Antwerpen, Antwerpen. In Antwerp, it's a lot about A's, and they, yeah, you just kind of, I can't really uh, describe it very well. But then, for example, if you go more to the west side, so towards the coast a little bit, we've got a little stroke of coast. It's very, (laughs) it's not very pretty, but it's there. Um, So if you go more towards the coast, they don't pronounce their G's. Their G's become H's. So, for example... Uh, money is geld. So that's a formal way, geld, for money. And then they would say health or something like that. I don't know, I don't know. I can't do it very well. But uh, but the more you go towards the coast, the worse it gets. And they just they just forget letters. Like, they're just not there. So that those people, they sometimes have a potato in their mouth because <laughs> you're not saying anything, you're just mumbling something. Um, and then on the east, on the east side, so east of Antwerp, Antwerp is kind of in the middle of Flanders. So the east side um, is this region called, or province called Limburg. And their stereotype is that they're very slow with things. So it would take forever to say a sentence. Yeah. Um, but it kind of go, also goes into how, what the culture is kind of like there. Um, people kind of drive slower. They're more enjoying life. Um, which is kind of funny because it's only 20 minutes away. <laughs> uh, yeah, <laughs> it's like completely different. Um, Those people over in Chapel Hill, man, there's something else. <laughs> Stop. <laughs> I went to a park school for kindergarten and then part of elementary school, which was just right next door. Mm-hmm. Uh, and my grandma lived, my grandma and grandpa lived right across the street from us, uh, so they would walk me to school every day and pick me up, because the park was right there, like right next to us, uh, so that was really nice, and then when I was 10, so fourth year in elementary school, fourth out of sixth year of elementary school, uh, they sent me to a Catholic school in downtown, um, yeah, in Belgium, I I didn't know there was a difference between uh, like Catholic or Christianity. We used those words intertwined until I came here to the States. I actually learned that there was a difference. And yeah, I didn't know all that. Um, but when, when I say here in the States, oh, I went to a Catholic school. To me, it doesn't have that much meaning because... In Belgium, the Catholic schools just kind of happen to be the older schools, a.k.a. the better and more prestiged schools. My grandma sent me to that school, so I don't know. I feel like that should tell <laughs> a lot of it. Um, yeah, but I had classmates that, that you know, were Muslim or Jewish from other, you know, other cultures and other religions. So you didn't have to follow the, the, the Catholic you know, regime to be able to go to that school. Um, and they're all public schools, so it, it doesn't really mm-hmm. matter. It's just it's just more a name, and the, the education format is a little different. Like, I think 
they flip some years compared to um, other schools. But by the end of it, it's the same. It's the same education. Um, yeah, so I went to Catholic school for maybe eight years. And then my last two years of high school, I went to a boarding school in, uh, in a city called Hasselt, which is in Limburg, the slower province. Um, yeah, so I spent two years there. Uh, were, you, were you still living with your, like, at home, same, same home? Yeah, uh, we, we moved. Okay. We moved, yeah. Uh, we moved more towards the countryside. Before, mm-hmm. we lived just outside the city belt, you know, like the highway that goes around the city. We, mm-hmm. we were just living outside of that. But then we moved further away, which kind of sucked, to be honest. Yeah, that wasn't very fun. Because our previous house, the tram, you know, the uh, above-ground metro, was right in front of the house, which was awesome. Like, in the winter, I could literally see when a tram would come, and then I'd just step outside and jump in. I didn't even have to wait at the stop. But now, this new house, I have to bike 15 minutes to get to the nearest bus stop. And then the bus takes, like, an hour to get into the city. So that was just not very Forced you to get outside. (laughs) Yeah, I guess so. And maybe on a golf course. Yeah. When did you start playing golf? I started playing golf when I was 10 years old. Um, I hit my first ball in Portugal when I was eight on a family vacation. My, um, uh, my parents and I were staying at this uh, resort and they had a, a kids club. And one of the days my mom found out that they were doing a golf thing for like two hours. So they asked me, oh, do you wanna go? And I'm like, yeah, sure, sounds good. Uh, so I show up and I end up being the only uh, kid there. So I had a private lesson with the local pro for two hours. Uh, my parents were in the bushes taking pictures, apparently. Um, so it's kind of nice to look back on that. Um, yeah, but this this pro, he couldn't speak English, just Portuguese. And um, yeah, I was wearing my mom's tennis shoes, put socks in them because they were too big. Um, yeah, so that was my first uh, interaction with golf. And then two years later, my, my dad, my dad um, signed me up for a membership at the local club that he was already part of. Um, and then my mom joined as well. And so my mom and I started playing together, and my dad kind of picked it up again because he used to play when he was younger but then kind of took a break with um, time commitments, a.k.a. me. <laughs> <laughs> Were you playing any other sports at the time? I really liked playing sports growing up. I was always pretty good with hand-eye coordination, so anything with a ball, um, I was pretty good at, so I enjoyed that. Yeah, I was I was pretty active growing up. I always loved PE class, mm-hmm. playing on the uh, playground at school. Um, yeah, but sports are still still predominantly considered male mm-hmm. in Belgium. Um, that's also why I like being in the States doing what I'm doing now. It's just a way more encouraging environment. Um, like every time I go back home, it's like, oh, you're still, still playing golf. Like, when are you getting a real job? And <laughs> like, yeah, later. <laughs> Deuces. Yeah, so growing up, I didn't officially, you know, was part of an organized competition in another sport or something like that. But I love playing soccer. I love playing tennis. Anything with a ball, I'm, I'm down. I was down to play, um, you know, other kids at school, at school, my classmates, they would play soccer, the boys. Um, and I would have loved to play too, but there was no girls team that I knew of. If I had asked my parents, like, hey, like, there's this team, like, I want to go play. Do you think I could go play? Then, yeah, they would have definitely signed me up. But there was just no one. I didn't have any, like, girlfriends that played in a sport or something that I could kind of jump in as well. I think I played ping pong. I played table tennis for a year. Yeah. I had one friend that competed in that, so she took me with her, and that was really nice, yeah. But that that was a little later than golf. Um, So I feel like golf kind of fell into my lap. Um, Yeah, it just kind of happened to work out with with the situation I had growing up logistically. I don't have any siblings, so golf is a great time, a great way to, like, spend time 
kind of by yourself. Like you don't need anyone to be able to play it. What was the course that you grew up playing on? Uh, it's called Ternisse Golf and Country Club. 18 holes and it has a, well, I guess 27 holes. It has a little, um, a smaller course. So once you start out playing, you go on the small course first and you're, you're a rabbit. That's what it's called. And you need to get, at least in my time, you had to get six cards of 21 points or more. So it's stable for, and you get three strokes on each hole. So it's, it's pretty decent. Two or three strokes. I can't remember. But you need, you had to get 21 points or more and you had to deliver six of those. And then you get your 36 handicap. And then you can play on the big course. That's a good way of doing it. Yeah. I got it done in one summer. The first summer you started playing golf out there? Yeah. Yeah, first summer. <laughs> this was 10 or 11? Yeah. Yeah. My mom took a little longer. She struggled a little bit. But she has her handicap right now. And I think she got it down to like 29 or something like that. The other day she called me. She's like, Leslie, I want one of those like distance measuring devices it's like mom <laughs> why do you need that like, you only hit it 100 yards like really but then i made her a deal that if she gets it down to like a 20 handicap i'll i'll get her one so that's her goal right now all right so speaking of which uh what how do you convert yards to meters okay so my range finder is in yards because you know on, on tour we can't use rangefinders. Actually, we can this year, but we used to not do. Um, so my my number would always be in yards, but then my end number I wanted in meters. So that's why I keep my rangefinder in yards because just so I get used to converting and I don't get lazy. If you have a hundred yards, you take ten percent off, which is ten. So a hundred minus ten is ninety. So that's ninety meters. Yeah, you just take 10% off, and then you get meters. And that's pretty right on. Yeah. There's a little dispersion, obviously, but... Yeah, sometimes the you know the higher numbers, you can get a yard or two off, but, I mean, by then you're already hitting a three-wood, so exactly. it doesn't matter that much. Yep, cool. Um, yeah, 10% is a pretty good, pretty good rule. All right, sweet. Well, that's a great tip right there, if I ever get stuck in that situation of caddying for someone that wants it in meters. <laughs> You do meters? Oh, crap. <laughs> uh, now I know. That's awesome. So back to you becoming really good really quickly, apparently. You knocked it out in one summer. Were you out there hitting balls and practicing? You got hooked right away? There were junior lessons mm -hmm. at the golf, uh, golf course out I was at, at Ternesum. They had it Wednesday afternoon and Sunday mornings. Um, so I would go twice a week. And then play Saturday, Sunday. And that was it, pretty much. Like, during the week, we didn't really... Sometimes, you know, my parents and I would come out for, like, an hour just to hit balls. Um, but it wasn't really super intense in the beginning. Well, maybe for most kids, it would be intense. I mean, three days a week, yeah. But that was fun, probably. Yeah, but it was fun. Like, I didn't play any other sports. I didn't have much else going on I had piano lessons and I had Chinese school oh I guess I did have Chinese school at some point that didn't work Chinese school <laughs> sorry mom yeah it's okay I took it in I took three years in college so I feel like I'm conversational now yeah was there a team that you played for in school or how did that work uh as you start playing more as a junior so we do not have any athletic teams that are paired with schools, neither high school or college. That just doesn't like that just doesn't exist in Europe. Um, which is why so many Europeans have come to the States to do their post um, post high school education if they play a sport. Because yeah, the US are pretty much the leaders on that front. Um, so in high school the last two years I did in that boarding school it was a sports school and it was the only one that you could go to for golf so that's why I went there for my last two years because I knew I wanted to come to the states anyways uh, and I really didn't like the previous school I went to like, the kids were just all bougie and the the teachers weren't very helpful with 
me trying to go play tournaments for the national team and I got behind in school and it just uh, it just really didn't work so I, I, I changed to this boarding school um, and so yeah over there there was not really like a team but we were let's see we were eight golfers there uh, but all, all between the ages between 13 and 18. So this is all high school. Six years of high school that you could do there. And I did my last two years there. Um, so I guess you're a team in that way, but you never compete together. You know, you train together every day, but there are no competitions that you do together as a, as a team or something. Um, yeah, and this school was tied to the Flemish Golf Union. So it was, it was a regional school um, with, the, with the regional golf union slash federation I don't know what the difference is but um can't remember if it was expensive or not but I I know my parents had to pay a little bit on top of like the normal um just the normal tax paying stuff for school um they had to pay a little more for the golf part but I think it was just the transportation and maybe the coach so it wasn't a huge huge amount and it, it it definitely paid off. Yeah. So are you? How did how did you basically get noticed by Chapel Hill? Or you know, are you are you guys do you play in tournaments and then you're like reaching out to college coaches in the U.S.? How does that all work? Yeah. So I was playing tournaments around Europe and reached out to a bunch of uh, college coaches, just writing emails. I had this little recruiting video of my swing and me saying two sentences. <laughs> Hi, I'm Leslie. I'd like to come play for you. <laughs> Thanks. Um, Were you bombing it back then? No, I was very short. Yeah, very short. I remember my freshman year in college, I was hitting so many hybrids into greens and I got so fed up with it. Yeah. Um, but recruiting, I was also working with this organization called Overboarder, which is basically these two guys in Belgium that help connect um, high school kids that want to go to college in the U.S. Uh, so they helped me quite, they helped me, they helped me quite a bit too in the beginning, just the initial contact and how it all works, because it can be very daunting to like get started with it. If coaches are not, you know, reaching out to you, how do you even, yeah, you don't, you don't know, your parents don't know. So that was really helpful in that regard. I remember that the strategy was we sent out emails to the top 20 golf teams and then see if we get any responses and then go from there um, and then from those 20 I think I got five responses or something like that like pretty good um, so that was the, that was the only initial reaching out honestly looking back I wish I knew more of it because for example Stanford wasn't in the top 20 at that time when, I, when we were looking at it I kind of wish I tried you know that would have been that would have been cool uh, but but I'm really glad I ended up at Chapel Hill and had a really good experience there. I played in this tournament called the British Girls, um, which is under 18, kind of like the British Open for under 18 girls. So I was playing in that, and um, uh, Coach Mann, the coach at Chapel Hill, she had reached out or gotten back to me a couple weeks earlier asking for what tournaments I'm playing that summer. And then I... I sent her my, my schedule, but it, you know I didn't hear back from her, and I honestly didn't really think much about it. Uh, so I <laughs> I start a tournament there. I think it was in uh, was in Scotland somewhere. The sun is out. It's super windy, and I hit my first tee shot starting the tournament. It's a two two day uh, stroke play, and then the match play starts. So first day stroke play, I hit my first tee, and then you know I'm walking down the fairway. And I see this lady just suited up in light blue. And I was like, who's that? And then I saw her backpack and it had the NC logo on it. And I was like, oh my God, okay, don't freak out. <laughs> it was funny because I looked over and she like nodded. I was like, okay, I, I'll nod back, I guess. <laughs> yeah, but then I ended up playing great. I ended up um, finishing second after the stroke play rounds, um, which was really good. So after that second round, one of the, the media guy, uh, he was writing an article, this, this older guy, very English, and so he wants to talk with me. I'm like, all right. Uh, so he asked me 
oh, like, are you going to college? I'm like, yeah, I would love to go to college. And he's like, you're not going anywhere yet? I'm like, no, like, not committed to anywhere yet. Um, but hopefully soon, yeah. Okay, so later that night, I get an email from Coach Man saying, hey, saw the article, uh, would love to have you, um, I can offer you a full ride, basically. And I was like, what article is she talking about? So I go to, I find the article and it says, it says that, uh, like, oh, Leslie so-and-so shop, blah, blah. Uh, she's looking to, uh, you know, go to college in 2013, but no one has reached out yet. That's what, that's what the article said. I was like, oh my God, well, I guess it worked. I don't, I don't know. I'm just going to roll with this. You became a hot commodity. Yeah. All of a sudden getting all these emails. Um, so that was kind of funny. I saw him, I saw him again at the British ladies, maybe three years later. And I told him that. He's like, great. I'm pretty sure he doesn't remember that, but that's okay. So committed to UNC. Yeah, so I ended up visiting three schools by the end of it because uh, I had fall break and then my dad and I um, wanted to visit three schools in that one week. So I had to cut it down to my final three. So I ended up visiting Oklahoma State, uh, Colorado, Boulder, and then Chapel Hill, which was a really nice dispersion of um, college in the U.S. Um, Oklahoma State, golf was amazing, facilities were amazing, school, eh, not that impressed. Colorado, golf was good, 40 minutes away, the course was 40 minutes away, so that was kind of a bummer. Um, school was better, more what I was looking for, uh, but then it started snowing, so I was like, eh, I don't know, I don't know. I like it, but I don't, I'm not completely sold. And then came to Chapel Hill, and that was just, yeah, it was awesome. It was, felt like home. Yeah, right away. Um, I remember just walking through the business school because I, my two criteria were, okay, good golf team, but I know I want to study business in undergrad. So I want to get into the best business school I can. Um, and at, at that time, Chapel Hill was ranked top 10 in both, both golf team and, uh, business school. So it was already my favorite coming in. Um, but walking around the business school, it was so cool. Like people were dressed nicely. Um, just, yeah, just the environment and the culture. I was like, yeah, this is, this is where I want to be. Yeah. The golf course was right there. Coach and, and all, and all the girls were really nice. Yeah. It was, it was a pretty easy choice. I got to say. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, when you came over, what was that like moving to the U S for the first time? So I had my suitcase and my, you know, my travel golf bag and I arrive at RDU and I remember getting off the plane and yeah, I actually didn't know who was going to pick me up. <laughs> I knew that coach knew when I was going to arrive, but I didn't know if I had to, like, call somebody or, yeah, I don't know. But then I step out of the gate, and they were there. They were both there. So I was like, oh, okay, cool. <laughs> I had a little freak out moment, but then it was all good. So, yeah, got my bags, and then went, went to eat first, and then we went to Target, and then we went to my dorm. The dorm was pretty empty because my roommate wasn't there yet. Um, and I was a week early because I had to do orientation. And I did the last, you know, the last session of that orientation, which was a week before school started. Um, so I was there a little early and nobody was in the dorm yet. So I was a little bit lonely, but I was just so excited that it didn't matter. Yeah, I just, re I just remember um, them dropping me at the dorm and they were leaving, right? Coach and, and Leah. And uh, Leah is like, just uh, put some music on or something. <laughs> I was like, okay, I don't know. But looking back, I think she kind of felt bad for me. But I, yeah, I was just happy being there. So I think the room just probably looked really empty because I only had my suitcase and my, um, you know, my golf bag, which is not a lot of stuff for an entire, you know, dorm. Like I didn't have any bedding or stuff like that. So we had to go get that Target. And I didn't know what to get. Like, I didn't know all these brands. I, I don't know what's good, what's not good. Um, I remember being in the laundry lane, like the laundry detergent. I'm like, I don't know what to get. I want Dash. Like, I know what Dash is, but I don't know what the hell all these other brands are. 
so pretty much Coach and Leah shop for me. Yeah, they just put a lot of stuff in there, and it was good. And the first night I was staying at the dorm, you know, it was a it was a little suite. So I had our dorm, our bedroom, and then there was a bathroom in the middle connected to another bedroom. So it was a suite of four four girls, and I was the only one there. Right, first night I go into the bathroom, I step out of the shower, and I see a bug. And it was a cockroach. And I didn't know what to do. I had never seen something like that. I was terrified. I had this uh, cup, you know, that you get from campus. Like, oh, here's a free cup. You know, so, okay. so I took the cup. It's my only cup. And I put it over the cockroach. So I didn't have to see it anymore. Um, yeah, so then a couple of days later, my roommate, Megan, arrives. She's a gymnast. And her parents were there. So, okay, she's moving in all her stuff. She has a lot of stuff. So it looked... The, the room looked a lot better after she moved in. And um, so I kind of hushed over to dad. And I was like, hey, um, I got to tell you something. Uh, you see that cup? And he's like, yeah, what's up? Uh, yeah, I think there's a bug under it. Uh, well, I'm pretty sure there's a bug under it. And he's like, oh, oh, no worries. I'll take care of it. So, yeah, then he took it out. So that was really nice. <laughs> the yeah. cockroach was, was still alive. Do you know I, don't, I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. I don't, I don't know. Yeah, so we were sitting there for a couple of days. We've had a couple of cockroaches since then, and every time I just put a cup over it, and then Megan takes it out. That was the routine. <laughs> I detect, and then she discards. Oh, that's great. What was it like, uh, college in the U.S.? Um, college in the U.S.? I guess college is college, like, no matter where you are, right? Like, it's yeah. a new experience, no matter but what. But U.S. college is definitely, it's like in the movies. Yeah. I was kind of surprised how quickly I got into Go Heels and UNC number one and yeah, just a very like the school spirit. But I I remember we had this uh, student athlete picnic, and the the first years we kind of separated halfway through, and the track coach, track and field coach, uh, talked to us, uh, and I remember him. It was a really good speech, and then by the end of it. He said, yeah, and if people ask you what your school color is, it's not baby blue. It's not sky blue. It's not even Carolina blue. It's the better blue. And I was like, yeah, okay, I see. I understand now. <laughs> yeah, so the brainstorming definitely worked on me. Brainwashing, I mean, not storming. Brainwashing. Brainwashing. Yes. Yeah, brainwashing. That's the right, that's the right word. Um, yeah, so that was that was the biggest difference. Um, just the whole college athletics. Yeah, we, we don't have that at all. So that's that's just really cool. I also really liked how you could pick your own classes. Typically in college in Europe, or at least in, in Belgium, you pick your major right away and you're on that track. So you don't really pick your classes unless it's like electives, you know, higher up. Um, yeah, so I, I do like that system where you can pick different classes from different departments, even if it's just one class, um, just to learn about different things and experience different things. And I think that's really cool. Like, I would have never been able to do a minor in Chinese in Belgium. Um, so, yeah, I'm, I'm pretty glad I, I came to the U.S. for college. Um, but if, if it weren't for golf, I probably wouldn't have done that. You know, it's crazy expensive here. <laughs> Full ride. Yeah, it's crazy awesome. expensive here. It is. It is really expensive. So you got to do take all these really cool classes, learn new things. You're exposed to a new culture. Um, golf obviously took up a lot of your time. How was it acclimating with the team, like with new people? And what were you, I guess, on the team by the time you graduated? Did you move up to number one, two, three? Yeah. Well, Coach tried to veer away from, like, labeling the one, two, three. Mm -hmm. Usually you know if you're four or five. But, yeah, for some reason, especially as I got an upperclassman, she really veered away from that. So I don't know. <laughs> I think she didn't want me to feel myself, which is fine. Um, yeah, I would definitely say junior and senior year, I would, consider, I would have considered myself kind of a leader on the team. But coming in, it was... Freshman year, it was uh, it was interesting. Um, you know, the, the first two weeks, you got class in the morning, you come to practice in the afternoon, right? So you get to the golf course, coach is there. It's like, 
she says, how y'all doing? Great, thanks. And then the second week, you know, I kind of catch on. I understand that y'all is you all. I learned that, first of all. So, you know, she says, like, hey, how y'all doing? I respond with, y'all are fine, thanks. Thinking, we all, that makes total sense, right? I'm trying to acclimate here, adapt or die, right? Uh, and my teammates, they all look over and they're like, what did you just say? Y'all are fine. We all, duh. And uh, yeah, they just start laughing. So that was good. I tried to keep it going for a couple of weeks to see if it would catch on, but it definitely did not. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Wow. Wow. Well, I'll be down. Wow. Yeah. So that that was that was that was the first attempt to really acclimate. That didn't really work out, but it's it's all good. It's all good. <laughs> it's, it's all a learning learning experience. Um, and then my first year, there was a girl that I was pretty close with on the team. She's from England, so we were the two Europeans on the team, and the rest were um, uh, Americans. Growing up. In Belgium slash Europe, I feel like people are more direct with how they communicate things. Um, But sometimes here that can be perceived as rude. Um, So I think I was rude a lot of times where I didn't mean to. But then also my teammates wouldn't say that I was being rude. So I didn't know. Um, But then they would get upset with me about something I didn't even intend to or didn't even know about. Um, so that, w- that was interesting sometimes. But it, it's all good. Um, once I graduated, like, or everyone that has graduated, uh, like, I'm, I'm still good friends with. So uh, it's just a cultural difference. I wonder what they would say about, you know, like having a teammate from Belgium and how that, yeah, kind of like the flip side of that. Um, should probably ask them at some point. Um, but I feel like I adapted pretty quickly. I think I have also, you know, throughout high school, I've been traveling a lot throughout Europe. So just being in a different environment, I think I was used to that. Um, and I was just also really excited about starting my college adventure in the States. Um, yeah, I really enjoyed it. I enjoyed going to all the classes, um, the golfing. Yeah. It was a really cool experience. Yeah. Do you excel on the team and you start looking to play professionally? What's that transition that lets you like going into graduation and beyond? Yeah, so my junior year, I was kind of struggling with golf. Like how I, my, my relationship with golf, uh, I was getting really burned out. I didn't really see any purpose in practicing slash even playing like yeah just kind of like all these existential questions and then the summer of my junior year uh, I went back home and I started you know I played for a national team and I was playing pretty well and um, I was playing with this girl from Sweden good friend she went to Oklahoma State actually and she was going to play qualifying school um, in August so we're playing a practice round, and after a couple holes, you know, I was asking about it, like, oh, how do you feel about it, um, and all that. And then after a couple holes, she turns around and she says, uh, why why are you not playing? I'm like, me? Q-School? She's like, yeah, like, why not? And I was like, huh, that's actually not a bad idea. Let me think about that a little more. So then we talked it all the way through on the back nine, and then after the round, I called my dad, and she's like, hey, like, you know, what do you think of uh, me going to play Q-School this summer, you know, to get some status uh, so I can play on Symmetra right away after school, you know, for the next summer. He's like, oh, I've been waiting for this. I'm like, okay, cool. <laughs> yeah, so that was pretty much done. Um, it was a rough year, junior year, but in that summer, I, I started enjoying golf a little more or kind of back to where I was before. Um, and I still struggle with that from time to time. I think golf is such a isolated sport when you're doing it professionally. Uh, you're always by yourself. You always got to make decisions based on you and your game so you can be really selfish at times. Um, yeah, so actually, if you have a personality that is good with, with making decisions like that and not feeling bad about it, uh, golf is great, yeah. Uh, but I, I definitely wasn't used to that, and 
really prioritizing your game and not feel bad about it. Because even if you do make a decision like that, like, no, I can't, I can't do that. I got to go practice. Or, no, I can't come to your wedding because I have a tournament. Um, but yeah, it's one thing to make the right decision, but then it's another to feel good about it. Um, yeah. Yeah, it's tough. Yeah. I'm sure you have decisions like that too, running, you know, running your own business. I think it's very similar where um yeah, I think I think those kinds of lifestyles are kind of similar. Um like running being being in a small business and and playing a individual uh sport as a profession. Um yeah, I, I think there are a lot of similar lines there probably. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. So going into Q school, uh, how did that go? How did it turn out? Oh, it went great. First round, I shot a four under. Yeah. So I was was like, man, this might be meant to be. (laughs) Well, first of all, that tournament that I played a practice round with that Swedish friend. You know, so I decided that I was going to go to Q school right before I started playing that tournament. Uh. You know, I, I talked to, you know, my my teammates from Belgium about it. Um, just kind of like, yeah, I think I'm going to go play Q school. Give it a try. There's nothing to lose other than, you know, the obvious, which is money. Um, but, yeah, I think I'm going to go try it. So that week, it was the European Ladies Individual Championship. And I ended up coming in second that week, which was the best finish yeah, it was really good. It was really good. I got really close to winning, but then I I kind of choked the last round. But it's all good. I don't know. I didn't really choke. I just didn't play that well the yeah. whole round. So it just wasn't really there anymore. Um, but I've learned from that. Yeah. Um, so even like that tournament in itself, you know, me finishing second in a European championship, um, yeah, that just all felt right. You know, it's just like, yeah. Great momentum. I should go do that. It makes sense, yeah. Um, kind of proving to myself, like, yeah, I do have the game, you know. Um, yeah, and then I played Q School, first first stage in Palm Springs, California, shot four in the first round, and, yeah, I just kind of dabbled around par the next couple rounds, and all you got to do at first stage is try to not blow up. Yeah, that's, that's the main thing. Uh, and then I played second stage. I played decent at second stage, but not good enough to advance, but I, I had... Uh, I had obtained symmetric status for that summer. So I, had, I reached my goal. So that was good. Yeah. Fast forward, I guess, from there to where you're at now. So I played symmetric tour my first summer in 2017. So I played half the season then. I think I played maybe 10 to 12 events. Um, that was kind of rough because I was on alternate list sometimes. And so sometimes I wor- wasn't able to play. So I had to go back to Q school then afterwards um, and then got better status on Symmetra Tour in 2018. These numbers, right? Yeah, 2018. And then so I played Symmetra 2018, 2019. And then this year, 2020, I'll play Symmetra again. So I've been kind of stuck on Symmetra, but it is getting better each year. And also the competition is getting better on the tour itself. Um and the purses, yeah. Like the last year, I was so surprised to see so many girls from LPGA Tour coming back to Symmetra Tour. You know, lost their status, and then they decided to play Symmetra uh, to get their card back. Uh, as in before, I think, you know, if you've, you've been playing LPGA for a couple of years, and then you lose your card, and the only option is to play Symmetra, yeah, I think most most of them probably would have decided, like, ah, it's been good, you know, I'll go do something else. Uh, it's not really worth my time and energy anymore to grind it out. Um, yeah, so that has been really good. I think that's how it should be, you know, the, the kind of like the second tour um, where you can bounce back and forth. I think that's really good. And I think that has to do with the purses, that it's just more... You know, if you play decent, that you can you can break even more easily. Yeah, I mean it, it's still hard, but at least if you play well, you'll be okay. You know, yeah. 
Speaking of which, today you're heading down. Yeah, today I'm going down to Florida, Winter Haven, for the first uh, Symmetra event. Yeah, I'm actually third alternate right now, but um, I was 18th alternate going into the week. So now <laughs> um, trending upwards. Yeah, I was really surprised to see my name on the alternate list, but I think it actually has to do with the coronavirus because. Um, the LPGA had their Asia swing supposedly right now, but they canceled it. So I think girls that have, or the women that have status status on both tours, that they're all of a sudden going to play in Florida. Um, I think that's why. Um, but it's all good. I'll definitely have opportunity later. Um, like, I think starting in May, I'll be able to play pretty much all the events. It's just the beginning uh, the beginning three tournaments because it's a smaller field as well because of daylight. Um, yeah, but either way, so we're going down there. I've got a host family, um, and I'm just going to drive, so there's not much, you know, of a cost to go anyways and see if I get in or not. I feel pretty hopeful about it, um, and my game is ready, so, yeah. I think in the past I would have freaked out about it more being on the alternate list, but right now it has been good. Go yeah. down there and enjoy some warm weather. Exactly. Uh, see, you know, other players that are my friends, get to hang out with them. So, um, yeah, should be good. We'll crush it, and I'll see you when you get back. Thanks. Appreciate it. All Thanks right. for having me on. Yeah. Thanks for listening to Leslie's story in this episode of Golf Homies. Fun fact, Leslie has her own podcast called Birdie Cast, where she shares insight about life on tour. It's definitely worth a listen. Until next time, keep spreading the good feeling that golf is home.